On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, we find ourselves in London with Jessica's cousin, Emma McGill, and an episode that doesn't feature Jessica Fletcher in any way, shape, or form, because apparently solving murder runs in the family. Hello and welcome to the Murder Shiro Podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and six-time Tony Award winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm gonna to be talking about season four, episode six. It runs in the family. Air date November 1st, 1987. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murder of the suspects. Everything in between. You cannot do a podcast like this without spoiling everything. So, unfortunately, you've lost one option for watching Murder, She Wrote, as it is no longer available to stream on the Roku channel. It has been taken off. Um, including the movies, which I need to get on DVD because I will cover those eventually too. Um, so if you are tired of Murder, She Wrote being dropped from streaming services, I suggest that you get the complete series on DVD, which is put into a box with all of the individual seasons that was released between 2005, 2006 to 2011. All 12 seasons are in their individual packages that they were originally released in and it's the best way that they could have done that and i think every single series should be like that anyway if that's not in your price range have no fear all 12 seasons are currently streaming on nbc's peacock app but unfortunately if you want to watch all 12 seasons you have to shell out four dollars and 99 cents to be able to watch it if you want to watch it without commercial interruption, you have to shell out $9.99. Your choice. And seasons 1 through 5 are currently streaming on Freebie, formerly IMDb TV app. Hello guys, my name is Donald Craig II, aka DJ. I am your host. Thank you for tuning in to the Murder, She Wrote podcast. I apologize immensely for my loyal listeners that i have not posted an episode except for one time in february there is a reason and if you are new here welcome i hope you enjoy thank you for coming i mean thank you for listening okay so the reason why i have not sort of recorded an episode in a while is because the weather here in kentucky has been absolutely crazy Today was a fantastic day and didn't feel like winter at all. We've had days like that. We've had days where it's been freezing. Temperature's been going up and down and it puts me in some really bad moods. Also, I've been going through a couple of things personally that I'm not going to discuss on here. Good things, but also kind of depressing things. So, but don't worry, I'm back and I'm going to be posting a lot more episodes for March. I promise. Although March is going to be a very hard month, and so is April, because it'll mark a year that my father has been gone um, from cancer, because he died last year on April 2nd, 2022. So it's going to be really hard. But he was proud of me for this podcast, and I know that he'll want me to continue it, so I'm going to try my best. 
Before I get started, though, I want to talk about some things I learned in the entertainment industry. First up, I want to talk about the latest trailers that were released this week. Um, I don't know if it's Rotten Tomatoes or if it's like a trailer uh, channel or whatever, but on YouTube, they take all the trailers that have been released in one week and put them in one video. And honestly, the first trailer that popped up was The Pope's Exorcist. Really, Hollywood? We're doing this again? We haven't done enough Exorcist films that we have to do another? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. And if I was the Pope, I would sue. I mean, I don't know what Pope, Pope it's supposed to be in the title, but his name's in the title, so I would sue anyway. I mean... It has Russell Crowe, an Academy Award winner Russell Crowe in this movie, which is kind of sad that this is the kind of movie he's getting. And the trailer was kind of kind of ridiculous. And there's, no, I mean, I was thinking maybe of going to the movies again, but there's nothing worth paying money to go see. Really and truly, honestly. It's kind of sad. Um, not to mention that... Uh, I saw the new trailer for the new Scream. I don't know if it's actually being marketed as Scream 6 or if it's going to be called something else. Um, and I honestly say they have lost the magic that was the original. And the reason why the original was created was because the horror genre was dead in the water. Most people were going off to see rom-coms with with Julia Roberts, Sandra Bullock, and Meg Ryan, there was, you know, horror wasn't popular at that time. And here comes Scream to basically make fun of the genre, but also to be self-aware that they're in a horror film. I mean, the first one, gold. The second one, gold. The third one, debatable. The fourth one, fantastic. The one that was released last year, oh my god, in a word, atrocious. To quote Simon Cowell, atrocious. Um, I do not understand why the killers killed. Um, I, I did not get it. Injustice for David Arquette, that's all I'm saying. Um, I just really don't understand that one, and I sure the hell don't understand this new one, because the trailer starts off um, with the two girls from the first movie running into a convenience store, and ghost, somebody dressed as Ghostface ends up killing every single person in the convenience store before going after them. It makes absolutely no sense at all. Like, seriously. No other go and it says that He's followed this ghost face as well, every single ghost face killer, and it, it just makes absolutely no sense. Although, bonus, Hayden Panettiere is back. She's just given shitty material to work with. Uh, now I gotta mark this explicit. Oh well. Another thing I found out was they want a sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer, which was also written by Kevin Williamson based on a book by Lois Duncan. That I read in high school that was not, well not in high school, I read it at some point in my life. 
but it was not a very good book. And it was turned into a movie, and they did pretty much what they did to Jessica Fletcher in Hooray for Homicide when she goes to Hollywood, is they basically just bought the the book for the title. And the rest of it was made completely up. Um, but it had Ryan Philippine and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. and Johnny Galecki and Hayes. Um, it was a really fantastic movie. It had an awesome sequel in 1998 with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. reprising their role. And of course, Brandy. Oh my God, love Brandy. Um, and I don't see... I don't see how there could be a sequel. I honestly don't. I, I don't see how there could be a sequel. I'm not going to spoil the movies for you. If you have not seen them, I highly recommend. But honestly, I don't see them being able to make a sequel. Then they announced like a new Evil Dead movie that looks absolutely ridiculous. They want to do another, a new... Uh, Children of the Corn, which of all the freaking movies that they could have turned, like of all the stories that was by Stephen King that could have been turned into a movie franchise, why in the hell is Children of the Corn a movie franchise? Please explain it, because I don't understand. And then I find out today, while looking at news on TV line, Paramount Plus is remaking Fatal Attraction which originally came out probably somewhere around the time this episode that I'm about to talk about aired because Fatal Attraction came out in 1987 and starred Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. And I'm going to be honest, justice for Glenn Close. She did not deserve what she got in that film. And you can look at this film from two different ways. You can look at it like, Michael Douglas's character is the victim and she pursued him even though she knew he was married or you can flip the script and you can say she's the victim because he pursued her and he knew what he was doing was wrong because um, he comes home after their wild weekend and messes up the bed and gives the dog the leftovers that he was supposed to eat while his wife and Archer was gone. And if I ever meet Glenn Close, I always want to tell her Michael Douglas should have been the one to die in that movie because you were freaking awesome. There are a couple of things she does that goes a little too far, but it takes two to tango. And and their their performances were brilliant in this film. You cannot recapture that. If you guys want to remake films, remake bad ones. Ugh. But honestly, it's like, I want something new. I want something fun and exciting. I don't want something I've seen before done better. You know what I mean? It just cannot be recaptured. But anyway... I've talked enough about some pop culture news. Let's get into our favorite show in a very strange episode that I really do not get the thought behind this. Okay, so picture this, guys. So this aired on November 1st, 1987, this episode. It runs in the family. Um, and Murder, She Wrote aired at 8 o'clock on Sunday nights on CBS because... 
they felt that that was the perfect time to watch a murder mystery. Well, imagine telling your friend around this time, oh my god, you gotta watch this show, Murder, she wrote. It is so good. I absolutely love the main character, Jessica Fletcher. You have to watch this. Well, imagine if you decide to tune into this show, and this is the night that you tuned in. This episode would have confused the hell out of you because Jessica Fletcher is not in this episode. And I cannot find any explanation as to why. I cannot find anything um, explaining why they decided to do this episode, why they decided to focus on her cousin and not focus on her. It makes absolutely no sense. To refresh your memory, in season one, Sing a Song of Murder, I'm not sure which episode, but I, I covered it. It's on here. Um, Emma McGill is introduced as Jessica's English cousin who lives in London, England, and she's a singer. Um, a series of accidents keep happening to her, and we are led to believe that she dies. Turns out she's not. She lowered Jessica to London under false pretenses so Jessica could figure out who was trying to kill her. She was dating a man named Mr. Trenchpool, who was a famous actor, um, and Emma owned a theater, and she was being bombarded, um, basically to sell it, but she would not sell it. She said that she loved performing in it, and she was never, ever going to give it up. Uh, apparently, she went back on her word. Um, well, all seemed well until her maid went to go get this leopard skin coat that she was to give to her, and the killer believed that Emma was alive and ran this woman, this poor woman down. It turned out that the killer was Emma's boyfriend's daughter who wanted him to focus more on his career and not waste his time at Emma's theater. So in this episode, Jessica's only seen on the back cover of a hardcover book that Emma is reading at one point. And Emma mentions her in passing. But Jessica does not appear in this episode in any way, shape, or form. And Angela Lansbury is billed with playing Emma McGill and not Jessica Fletcher. This is the only time, according to IMDb and according to Murder, She Wrote's Wikipedia, Wiki, whatever you call it, that this happens. No other time is there an episode where Jessica does not appear in any way, shape, or form. And again, I don't know what the thought behind this episode was. Did Angela Lansbury want to just play this character again? Um, did she enjoy playing this character? I don't know. And there's no way to find out. And this episode was very strange the way it ended. And it was so, it was so obvious who the killer was. And I honestly do not know what her motive is. And this is like the third consecutive episode in a row that I recorded where I'm like, why did they kill them? Although I know why the killer killed the nun in Old Habits Die Hard, thanks to Cabot Cove Confidential. Um, but in the last episode I did, The Way to Dusty Death, I mean, that one was so confusing. And this one is too. But let's get into it. And also, this was totally not shot in London. 
it was shot on the Universal backlot, and in this episode, they did not even try to hide that fact. Trust me. They used stock footage galore for, like, the opening credits, but, like, when it, when it took time to show exterior shots, it was the Universal backlot. The bar was one I'd seen in multiple movies, but I can't narrow it down to which ones exactly. And then we'll get to the other location because we don't go that many places in this episode. Okay, so this episode starts with Emma McGill in a bar. She's talking to two random people. I don't know their names. And this very heavyset man walks into the bar and goes up to her table and says, My name is Humphrey Defoe. I am the family solicitor for Lord for his lordship, Jeffrey Constable. I wish to speak you speak to you privately, madam. So she sends off her friends and she goes, Oh my oh Jeffrey is a lord? Well I'll be. Isn't that just something? And he says, will you have time to come up? And she said, well, ever since I sold, you know, my theater, I've had a lot of time on my hands and I don't mind going. Or I'm not. And first she's reluctant, of course, because she's like, I'm trying other ventures and I got like a lot of things going. And he's like, oh, please. His lordship is gravely ill. He's dying. And his last wish is to see you. So... She reluctantly agrees, and they show them driving down this street, and it looked like I saw this Universal tour that took place, I believe, in like 1988 or 1989, and they had the old streets from the Universal monster movies there, and that, and it looked exactly like that. And I think the house that we see the exterior shot of is also from one of the monster movies. I just can't place it. But there's nothing on IMDb to to tell me anything about it. But anyway... Um, so they arrive at the big house, and Emma is reluctant to go in because she's like, my, what a beautiful house this is. And... Uh, she says, I can't go in there. The years have not been kind to me. I'm no longer 19. I don't know what I was thinking. I look old. And Mr. Defoe is like, well, madam, his lordship is no longer a man of 22. And if I may be so bold to say, the years have been kind to you both. So she says, okay. They go inside, and she immediately meets Jeffrey's sister. But we're but first, Emma thinks she's his wife, Sybil Constable, and his sister-in-law, Pauline Constable, and his nephew, Derek Constable. Derek and Pauline are having some sort of argument, and he goes out the door. Um, Sybil is like, I'm so happy that Mr. Defoe was able to find you. My brother has talked about you fondly over the years. It's nice to finally put a face to the name. 
but you can tell she's standoffish and doesn't want her there. Pauline literally seems to be a clone of hers because she's as standoffish as Sybil is. And Pauline says, well, my brother-in-law is very, very ill. Some days he remembers things, other times he's not. Hopefully today you'll catch him on a lucid day. So I'm thinking at this point in this episode, I'm going to be seeing this frail dude. Oh no, they go into his room and he looks perfectly fine. Doesn't look like no senile old man to me. He's sitting in a wheelchair, but there's no indication that anything's wrong with him. Um, so Emma is very nervous. She doesn't know what to call him. And he explains that he's not just a lord, he's a vicomte. Which, a vicomte is a very important person. It's like a little bit lower than a lord or a lady. I tried to look this up. I really did. And it just led to more questions, more questions. And before I knew it, I had... I was, I was not obtaining the information I needed to obtain for this, but it is a very respectable title in London. And for, all, for anyone in London that's listening, I think that your country is beautiful. I've never been there, but the things I've seen in movies and TV shows and also in pictures is beautiful. I love Big Ben. It's awesome. Fantastic. And... I think your queen that just passed away last year was fantastic. Okay, so I'm sorry if I get this Vicomte business messed up. The show doesn't do a very good job of explaining it. They should have done their research. I tried to do some. It just did not work for me. Um, so this is a very big deal, but Jeffrey doesn't seem to care about it. Um, he tells Emma... But he knows that he's dying. He wanted to see her one final time. He has a house for her. In the country. Um, which comes with a bit of income. And she says, Jeffrey, I don't want your money. I don't want a house. And he says, please take it. I insist. She says, okay. And he says, I think you'll liven up this place. Well... We cut to Pauline and Arthur's room. Arthur, when Jeffrey dies, he's his brother because Jeffrey explains that he's always loved Emma. Um, he's never thought of any other woman, but he ended up getting married to a woman. They had a loveless, childless marriage, and he has nothing to show for it. And all of his family members are waiting for him to die so they can be the next one in line including his brother, Arthur. So we then cut to Arthur and Pauline's bedroom, and Pauline is visibly upset. She cannot believe that the family solicitor actually found Emma McGill and brought her back here. He's going to give her things. He's going to give her money. I just know it, and I won't stand for it. Well, at that moment, Derek, um, Johnny... Um, Jeffrey and Arthur's brother arrives with a woman named Gwen Petrie, played by the wonderfully talented Jane Leaves from Frasier 
and hot in Cleveland. Absolutely love her. She's so funny. Does not get the recognition she deserves. OMG, she's so great. But anyway, they arrive, and immediately Sybil is standoffish and mean to her, and so is Pauline, because she is a lower-class citizen, and how dare she... How how dare Johnny bring someone like her here? How dare Jeffrey want to associate with someone like Emma? And I, I hate people like that. And there are people in this world that are like that. And it's like, why would you treat someone like that when you know you were treated like that? You know, at one point in your life, we should all, we should treat everyone with kindness, no matter their financial situation or appearance. Oh my goodness. But anyway, so they they all have dinner and they have like pickled herring, I think it is. And Emma doesn't want to touch it because the restaurant they had it at, she got food poisoning because of it. Let me make sure if that's what it is because I'm sure it'll do a detailed thing. But yeah, it's the... The Vicomte Black Raven. Da, 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 da. Let's see here. Oh, it doesn't say. It doesn't say what he was poisoned with. So I'm going to uh, think that it, it is probably pickled herring. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, she doesn't want any. And then this was a moment I really, really hated. So Sybil asks Gwen what her hobbies are. And she says that she takes dance lessons. And Sybil goes, oh, is your goal to perform Swan Lake at the Albert Music Hall someday? And she goes, oh, no, your ladyship. I can't sing a note. And this is obviously supposed to show that she is not very intelligent, that she's, you know, lower class and she's dumb. And I'm like, this is horrible because everyone knows that Swan Lake is a ballet, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was in fact a musical too. I mean, there's a whole franchise of movies based on it, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't like this at all. Um, and Sybil refuses to speak to her after that. So then we cut to everyone in the library Jeffrey wants Emma to sing a song. Emma is going to sing her signature song. Goodbye, little yellow bird. I'd gladly mate with you. I love you, little yellow bird. But I love my freedom too. Unfortunately, Jeffrey says, I don't want to hear that one. You know what I want to hear. And so Emma sings this. Bear with me.
Okay. And it goes like this. It originally came out in 1905 and was Angela Lansbury's signature song in the classic movie Till the Clouds Roll By. And it goes something like this. I don't know why I'm so very shy. I always was demure. I never knew what silly lovers do. No flirting I'd endure. In all my life, I'd never kissed a man. I never even winked my eye. But now at last, I'm going to break the ice. So how'd you like to try? How'd you like to spoon with me? How'd you like to spoon with me? Sit beneath an oak tree rock, tall and shady. Call me your little tootsie wootsie baby. How'd you like to hug and squeeze? Dangle me upon your knees. How'd you like to be my lovey-dovey? How'd you like a spoon with me? <laughs> okay, so. So. Um, obviously, when this, when this song was originally released in 1905, it was for a musical that's lost to time now. But it was featured in a biopic about the person who composed it. His name was Jerome something. I can't pronounce his last name. But. MGM cast Angela Lansbury in this project and they allowed her to do her own singing. It was not dubbed and this became one of her signature songs. She also reunited with Judy Garland in that film. They had both appeared in the film, the Harvey girls, but MGM did not like Angela Lansbury's voice and said that it did not sound husky enough to be a saloon girl, AKA prostitute. And so when you hear her sing, Oh, you kid, you ever-loving kid, my heart is going tingling. If you want chicken, grab a wing. And oh, you kid, can I put in a bid? I swear I'd never fall again. But oh, you kid. They dubbed her voice. Um, they did not let her do her own singing in that film. And I really think that was a mistake. But what's done is done. So she sings that, and naturally, of course... It was a very controversial song when it was released in 1905. According to my research, when they performed this song in the, mu in the original musical that it was in, um, people in the audience fainted because it's basically about a girl wanting to have sex for the first time. So, yes, <laughs> there is that. All right, so um, everyone in the... Um, living room is absolutely shocked except for Johnny and Gwen. They are enjoying themselves and of course Jeffrey too. When she goes, how'd you like to spoon with me twice? He goes, I would. I mean, <laughs> and that's how you're supposed to do in the song. But anyway, so we cut to Pauline and Arthur 
And this was a truly terrifying scene because I got a new DVD player for Christmas from my mom. And it takes some of my, my movies and TV shows that it was in originally in the square format and like makes them widescreen on my TV. And it does that to Murder, She Wrote. And most of the time I don't mind it because it's really cool. But <laughs> during this scene with Pauline and Arthur, um, Pauline is absolutely positively freaking evil. She's like, oh my, what the bloody hell was that? I can't believe this woman. She's so vulgar. She's so ridiculous. And he's going to give her all our money and I won't have it. And when she's going off of this rant, like, author is trying to tell her it's not that big a deal. You seem to be, seem to care about this Vicont thing or Vicont thing more than I do. And she's going on this rant. And there's this point where they do this close-up of her. And, oh, my God, this actress deserved a freaking Emmy Award because she scared the hell out of me. Like, the look on her face is she's going to kill. And I was like, yep, there's our killer, ladies and gentlemen, right there. And it was, like, really scary to see that scene in widescreen. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Anyway, so so we cut to the next day. Um, they're all outside. Gwen and, and Johnny have stayed the night at the house. They're all having breakfast that Emma has made instead of the cook. And they're quite enjoying themselves. Sybil is so not enjoying these women in her house. Um, she's like asking them when they're going to leave subtly, of course, but not so subtle. Everyone's there. Derek eventually comes back drunk, just acting a fool. And so then Jeffrey's doctor comes down. I don't know his name. It doesn't matter. He comes down and he says, well, I have some wonderful news to report. It seems as if, he has made him miraculously recover, and the uh, Ravenhood Vicon or Black Blackwood Vicons, whatever, will probably live for another thousand years. And everyone, with the exception of Emma and Gwen, are absolutely devastated by this news. And Gwen and Emma, of course, are overjoyed because they don't know what's going on, like, at all. Um, so, <laughs> so he comes out with a cane. He's no longer in his wheelchair. Um, he looks perfectly fine, which makes me think that this whole thing was, like, an elaborate thing to get Emma to come see him, which I forgot Apparently he offered her money, but I forgot that part to come see. I think she declined it. But anyway, he wants to go on a picnic with her. He wants to go on a picnic with her, which is totally fine, which is totally fine. Um, but then he says, you, you make the food. Really, dude, you asked her to go on a picnic. You can't make the food yourself. So he goes up and changes. Everyone's really upset. Author tells... Derek to get his act in check and that's pretty much it Jeffrey and Emma go off on their picnic and then Sybil acting like the damn godfather is like excuse me Mr. Defoe 
but I cannot believe that you actually found this vulgar woman, meaning Emma, and brought her into our house. She is disrupting our lives, and I do not like her with my brother. There's going to be a time when my brother is no longer here, and you must figure out where your loyalties lie. I want this relationship terminated. Uh, nah, bitch. You need to stay out of it. Like, wow. I mean, she's horrible. I do not like this woman. So, we cut to Emma and Jeffrey driving in the country, which was so shocking to see Angela Lansbury driving a car. Because she normally drives a bike on the show, so it was, like, so weird to see this. But anyway, they go to, like, a nice little spot in the country. Um, there's, like, a bunch of land at the Universal Studios backlot. And they have, like, this awesome, like, thing in the background that they can make it look like anything in the background. So you can totally tell this is where that is. But anyway, um, Jeffrey begins telling her about his grandfather, who died at the age of 87. The doctor told him he wasn't allowed to have any cheap cigars cheap cigars and he wasn't allowed to have chocolates but they found him stone cold dead in his bed and he had chocolates and he had uh, his cigars and they just assumed that he just died of natural causes Emma says well maybe it was something more Jeffrey then proposes marriage and goes ahead and eats his pickled herring and immediately begins to choke. Emma gets in the car, drives away to get him help, and he dies. And no one, and I do mean no one, is upset about his death except for Emma. Arthur is now the next Vicomte in line, and Pauline is thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. She even meets with some random woman um, to, to have lunch so she can explore this side of her. Um, and all arrows point to Emma because it's the one food she didn't touch. But the inspector in this case, you know, a Sherlock wannabe, um, Inspector Frost, immediately, like, like seriously, like immediately when they get on the scene, he smells that something's wrong with the food and immediately deduces that, that the Vicomte has been poisoned. And all arrows, of course, point to Emma because it's the one food she didn't eat. But, of course, everyone knew that, that because she said it at the table when they were having dinner. So she decides to help him investigate and she goes... Jeffrey told me about his grandfather and about how that he thinks maybe he did not die of natural causes. Maybe he was poisoned too. So the inspector decides to exhume um, the grandfather's body and the family is absolutely, absolutely not happy about this. And they're like, you have no rights. And 
Derek come, like, they go, they have, like, a funeral, and they notice at Jeffrey's funeral, they're exhuming the grandfather's uh, grandfather's body, and Derek comes riding up randomly on a horse, because I guess this wasn't that far from where they lived, and he's like, my friends are going on a ski trip, can I have some money? And he go and and the father like literally goes off on him and says, "We sent you to school. That wasn't good enough for you. We did this, this, and this. It was not good enough for you. You ain't getting no, no damn money from us. Sorry." Um, and Pauline is absolutely shocked, and he says, "It's time that we put our foot down." Um, so later they go, they go back to the house, and. I get the Pauline's car is being washed. This is very important. And they go back and Emma does sort of some digging and she begins that all arrows are pointing from her to Johnny because she goes to talk to Gwen. Gwen says that Johnny really loved the old man and was hoping that, that he could get some money to start up a business or whatever. And he's the one who gave him chocolates. While Emma is at, I don't know, a bar or or something talking to Gwen, Jeffrey, I mean, not Jeffrey, I'm sorry, Johnny and Derek decide to go hunting and there's been some kind of accident. So Emma and Gwen go back and Gwen immediately says that Johnny would not kill anyone. He would not hurt a fly and she loves him. She also admits that she's not the smartest person in the world and that they may seem like the most mismatched couple you'd ever meet, but they love each other and that's all that matters. And that is totally and completely true. So they go back to the house and Emma had noticed earlier that Pauline's car was being washed, but then she notices that there is mud on her tires. So she goes in, and everybody thinks that Johnny shot Derek. Emma immediately notices the mud on the tire. She whispers in the inspector's ear, tells him what she saw, and they arrest Johnny. And Gwen goes off with him. I mean, I forgot one scene, and that was at one point, Sybil was like, I think you should leave now, Emma. And she goes, oh no, not until I figure out Jeffrey's murder, who murdered Jeffrey. And it's the scene where she's holding Jessica's book to get, I guess, some ideas. Well, eventually the killer, no surprise, turns out to be Pauline. Pauline apparently used to be lower class like Gwen and Emma and really wanted to be the wife of a Vicons. She basically tried, she shot her own son to make it seem as if Johnny was the killer to take suspicion off herself. And that, she starts crying and Sybil literally like like uh, the inspector says 
Emma remembers that this car was being cleaned and now there is mud all over it. Permit me, madam, to open the trunk, which they call it the boot. And Sybil, in, it, it says that. She goes, this car is registered to me. Open the boot. They do, and they find the, the hunting rifle in the trunk. So she kind of admits to killing the grandfather, kind of admits to poisoning Jeffrey, and kind of admits to shooting Derek, but there's no explanation why. She says, she turns to Sybil and she's like, you turn your nose up at anyone who is lower than you are. And you acted like I was nobody, but I'm somebody. I'm the, and I have to get this right. I'm the wife of a black raven vicomte. I matter now. And she starts crying hysterically. And Sybil says, Inspector, I'll take her inside. It's like, no, you won't. He's going to freaking arrest her. But they don't. And then he goes, good job, Emma, on catching uh, that mud on the tire. And she goes, oh, it's something my cousin Jessica would do. I guess it runs in the family. End credits. Honestly. I don't understand what the point of this episode was. I mean, it just does not make any sense. Like, like, why did she kill them? Just so her husband would be the next Vicon? Why? Why? It makes no sense. I did not like this episode, guys, but I'm so excited for the next one. If it's Thursday, it must be Beverly. Oh my god. If it's Thursday, it must be Beverly. I can't wait to see that. I have not seen that one in a while. Let's go over the guest stars and see if any of them are have guest starred before and are coming back. Derek was played by John David Bland. And I don't I think this was his only episode of Murder She Wrote. Oh, he died in nineteen ninety eight at the age of thirty four. He's known for Tank Girl nineteen ninety five. Tropical Heat TV show in 2002. I mean, in 1991 to 92 and 22 episodes is what I meant. Knott's Landing in three episodes and Outlaws. Last known credit was in Tank Girl. Oh, and he'll appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in Season 9. So I'll try to remember that, guys. But may he rest in peace. He was only in nine different things other than Murder, She Wrote. Mark Lindsay Chapman played Johnny, and he looks so familiar. So familiar to me. And I think I know what he was in. He's known for the Langoliers miniseries, Titanic, yes, as Officer, Chief Officer Wild, in the scene where Cal uses the child to get on the lifeboat. He lets him through and, and lets him on in the lifeboat. Uh, chapter 27, uh, 2007, and Swamp Thing, 72 episodes. Last known credit was in 2017 in the Twin TV movie. Okay, he was in 55 different projects. 
It was in Young and the Restless in 2006. Lots of Christmas movies. And regular TV movies of the week that they don't do anymore. Uh, he was in 24 episodes of Days of Our Lives. He was in Charmed. I could have saw him in that too. Poltergeist, The Legacy, Air America TV show, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Pacific Blue. Oh, he will appear in uh, three more episodes of Murder, She Wrote, uh, season 6, 9, and 12. So I'll try to remember that, guys, but I'll probably forget. But now that I know who he is, I will definitely remember because I love Titanic and I kept thinking that it was him, but I wasn't sure. Christopher Hewick played Mr. Defoe. He looked familiar to me as well. He died in 2001 at the age of 80. He's known for The Producers, 1967. Mr. Bobadier, as Mr. Bobadier. Oh my goodness, that's who I recognize him from. Fantasy Island and Heart to Heart. He was in 25 different projects, last known credit, the TV show Ned and Stacy, California Dreams, Mr. Bobadier. This is his only episode of of murder she wrote he was in rat boy which does not sound like a movie i want to see um the new mike hammer er sitcom heart to heart the elephant man <laughs> and his first known credit was pool of london in 1951 you go, sir. You were great. Rest in peace, sir. You were great. Jeffrey was played by Richard Johnston. He died in 2015 at the age of 87. He is known for The Haunting, 1963. Awesome movie. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, 2008. Awesome movie. Zombie, 1979, and Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, 2001. Last known credit, um, in 2015, The Man Who Knew Infinity. He was in 140 different projects before, before his death, and he worked right up until the end. What an actor. Okay, hold on, it's loading. Internet's been slow tonight because of the rain. Um, the Robinsons. Lots of TV movies and miniseries and things. I wish they'd bring that back. This is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was in Magnum P.I. Heart to Heart as well. 
um, <laughs> thriller. Oh, he was in something called The Pumpkin Eater in 1964. Wonder what that was, huh? And he had his first credit in the BBC Sunday Night Theater TV series um, in 1950. So you go, sir. You go. You were amazing. May you rest in peace. All right, we got Jane Leaves. I wonder if this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. It probably is. But we'll check her out anyway. She's awesome. She'll have her birthday on April 18th. So, happy early birthday, Miss Leaves. You are awesome. She's known for Frasier in 263 episodes, James and the Giant Peach, 1996, To Live and Die in L.A., 1985, and Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, 2006. Last known credit is The Resident in 71 episodes. She's been in 52 projects. Hot in Cleveland, 125 episodes. Love it. Desperate Housewives. I didn't know she was in that. She guest voiced on The Simpsons. Oh. Hercules TV show. Caroline in the City. She was in the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. She was in nine episodes of Murphy Brown. I remember that. She was awesome in that show as well. Blossom, Who's the Boss? My Two Dads, Mr. Bobadier. It's a Living. Oh, this is the only episode of Murder She Wrote. The Benny Hill Show, and her first known credit was a performer on Nice to See You in 1991. Okay, you go, girl. We love you. Rosemary Murphy played the role of the terrible civil constable. She died in 2014 at the age of 89. She's known for To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. Awesome. Love that movie. Love the book. Eleanor and Franklin, 1976. Afterlife, 2009. And Mighty Aphrodite, Al Al 1991. Last known credit was in 2010 in The Romantics. Okay. She guest starred in Frasier in two episodes. She was in Message in a Bottle in 1999. The Cosby Mysteries. Um, the TV show Bob in the heat of the night. Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. As the world turns. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Miniseries George Washington as his wife. The Attic as Mrs. Perkins. I think that was about Anne Frank. Columbo, The Young and the Restless in 1998, 
mod and her first credited role was in 1949 and she was also in one of the very first soap operas on TV, The Secret Storm, in 1954. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Anthony Newley played our inspector. He died in 1999 at the age of 67. He is known for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Dr. Doolittle, 1967, and the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which was the biggest box office bomb of 1987 and one of the biggest movies in history that, have, that is universally hated. I've never seen it, but I've seen clips of it, and it looks terrible, and it's enough. Last known credit, The Lakes, 1999, East Enders, Simon and Simon, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Magnum P.I., this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Stagecoach, Alice in Wonderland as the Mad Hatter in 1985. That was good. Heart to Heart, you can watch that on YouTube. Dr. Doolittle, the original 1967 musical version. They recently did a remake with Robert Downey Jr. It was not good. I didn't like it. Um, Oliver Twist, 1948, and his first role was in Henry V in 1944. Awesome. Long career you had there, sir. All right. Caroline Seymour played our murderer, Pauline Constable. She is still alive and a fantastic actress, I must say. She is known for Moral Combat, Aliation, 1999, Cargo, 1995, The Ruling Class, 1972, and Mass Effect 2 Video Game, 2010. Oh, wow. Last known credit. She's still working. She's still alive. She's still working, doing video game voiceover work, which would be fun. Lots of video games, particularly Mass Effect. I've never played those. She even did some voice over work on Attica Christie Murder on the Orpheon Express video game. I would love to play that. She was in Judging Amy, Still Standing, Sitcom, ER in one episode, Indiana Jones video game, Superman the Animated Series, Babylon 5, Star Trek Voyager. Oh, she's going to be in a couple other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Yay! Whoops. I pushed the wrong button. 
Hold on. Ay, yay, yay. Technology. Can't live with it, can't live without it. Okay, she's going to be in season 6 and season 11. Boy, will it take us forever to get there. So we'll go over more of her guest starring roles when we get there. I got to remember her, though. I will. Trust me, I can't forget. Her husband was played by John Standing. Okay, and he's still with us. He is known for V for Vendetta, 2005, The Elephant Man, 1980, Scoop, 2006, and The Eagle Has Landed, 1976. Last known credit, The Man with the Golden Gun, the radio play in 2020. Okay. And a lot of radio plays. I didn't know they still did those. I love them, though. They're cool. I think I'm safe in saying this is probably his only episode in Lara NYPD Blue. Awesome show. Oh, he did some voiceover work for the Clue video game in 1994. Love it. Oh, he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in Season 6 as well. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles later. And... Alright, that's it. Because the rest of them won't load, and also my laptop needs to be charged. Alright, so, like I said before, this episode was very, very strange. I did not like it all that much. It was interesting. Angela Lansbury did a very good job. The actress who played Pauline did a phenomenal job. She scared the hell out of me, I have to say. But, uh... I hope you have a good day, night, depending on when you listen to this. I hope you are enjoying the episodes, and I promise I'll post more. Um, happy crime solving when you're watching Murder, She Wrote. And I will see you in the next one. And I pray for peace in the world before I go to sleep. Good night. Good day. Goodbye.